Well, good morning, church. How are we? Man, I'm so glad that you are here today. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Romans chapter 1? And I pray that you learn where this incredible letter is, because we're going to be here for quite some time. Uh, Today, we kick off a new sermon series in this incredible letter. Uh, There are 16 chapters in Romans. uh, And if the Lord would allow it, we're going to spend 30 weeks walking through this letter. And you may say, Josh, whoa, time out. That seems like a long time. Let me be clear. This letter... Uh, It it is probably many different ways in many different seasons. People would say, well, this is my favorite book of the Bible. This is my favorite passage of the Bible. This is my favorite section of the Bible. But in your history, in your ecumenical church background history, I would venture to say that Romans is probably the most providential book in all of the Bible. Here's a couple of reasons why. Uh, early on in Christianity, one of our, one of our great uh, Christian church fathers, Augustine of Hippo, not a believer for so long, reads through this letter and converts to Christianity and he becomes St. Augustine. We, we go a little bit further, about 1500 AD. There's a man named Martin Luther. He's a priest in the Catholic Church. He begins to read for himself the scriptures, and he dives into this letter specifically, and God warms his heart to break away from what would be considered cold religion to him and to embrace this life of walking hand in hand, side by side with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when asked, what brought you to this conclusion to break away from the Catholic Church at that time, to to nail your theses on the door of Wittenberg, Germany, the church that was there, Why did you put all of those statements there? And he would say, it comes from this letter. So what we're going to do today is we are going to embark in a single sentence. Now, this is what you got to know about the Apostle Paul. He writes in run-on sentences. If I've learned anything through my master's and doctoral level education is that I write in run-on sentences and that is not looked well upon. I was graded more for adding comma after comma after comma after comma. And then I learned you can put a hyphen and that acts like a comma. And then it would just keep going. I learned that that was bad. But in Pauline literature, when Paul writes the letter, that's very good. And so today we are covering verses 1 through 7, which is one sentence. And so Paul writes a whole lot in this one sentence today. There's a few things before we begin, though. Before we dive into this letter, I want you to be aware of. As always, when we approach any scripture, we must come ready with our mind open and our hearts humble. We come to the scriptures for them to tell us what to believe and how to act. We do not come to the scripture in order to tell them their meaning and tell them what they were truly trying to say. Let that sink in for a minute because I want to be clear. A lot of times we have a framework that we use as a lens when we read the scripture. Maybe it's a background that we come from. Maybe it's a church denomination that we grew up in. Maybe it's just the way that you think the world should work and you're trying to make the Bible fit that worldview. Church, hear me out. When we read the scriptures, the Bible informs our worldview. Our worldview does not inform the Bible. That's going to be really important as we journey through this letter because there are going to be things you hear that are going to hit you like a hammer on the head. 
And there are going to be things that hit you that are going to be more gracious than you ever thought possible. This letter holds both extremes. Another thing I want to make us mindful of as we start this letter together is that this book is going to teach, reprove, correct, and train us in all righteousness. That's what 2 Timothy tells us about all of Scripture, but I believe specifically Romans is going to do that. It is going to teach us things that we didn't know. Today, for example, the difference between a disciple and an apostle. The difference in a call and an invitation. So we we looked at those, it's going to teach us those things, but here's, I think, where it rubs us a little bit. It's going to reprove us. That's a word you don't use a lot, but here, here is another way to hear that. It's going to show us where we're wrong. Believer, it's going to show you where you are wrongly living and how we are wrongly believing. It's going to correct us. So not only is it going to point out the error of our ways, but it's going to point us in the right way that we should go that is going to glorify God and bring good to our community. And then it's going to train us in righteousness. It's what the scriptures do. With that being said, I'm asking you to save your anger or the I'm going to give that preacher a piece of my mind emails. Save it. I love you. I'm just the messenger. If you sit with it and you pray about it and you think through it, you say, that preacher still needs a piece of my mind, bring it. I will read it and I will love you and we'll drink coffee together and it will be a good time. But look, when you hear something on Sunday, don't, don't email me at 12.02. I'm eating Mexican food. Don't talk to me, okay? I just want to be clear on what's going on. Thirdly, this letter, if read and obeyed, will radically change your life. Not might, it will. It will change if you read this and obey this. It will change how you view the Father. It will change how you view the world. And it will change how you interact with both. So church, let us pray that our hearts would stay humble as we journey through this powerful book. Now, we need to get into a little background before we get into the one sentence that Paul gives us today, okay? So we go to the typical who, what, when, where, why. Who? Okay. Who is Paul is writing a letter to the believers in Rome. What is this letter about? The letter is about the gospel as the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The word power and the word everyone are going to come into really important meaning over the next coming weeks. The word power, didymos, it is this idea of dynamite and explosion. So when I tell you that if you rightly read this letter and you rightly obey this letter and you rightly understand this letter, it is going to act like dynamite in your nice little comfortable world and it's going to blow everything up because that's what the power of God does. Whether you are a staunch religious person, God will blow that religion up. If you are just someone who is just set in their ways, God and his grace is going to blow that life up. And what is going to settle by God's sovereign grace and his powerful hand is the life that he has intended for you and his church. When was this letter written? More than likely, it's written later on in Paul's life, 57 AD, more than likely. Where to? Of course, Rome. But why? This is, this is important. This is, this is why we journey through this letter, okay? 
The church at Rome was evidently started early on, right after Pentecost. But at some point, they had a Roman emperor there named Claudius. Claudius kicked all the Jews out of the city for five years. And then when they returned, the church continued to go. But it was primarily Gentiles because all the Jews were gone. So when the Jews return, they come back to their church, and they realize the church is very, very different than they remember it being. Because as you can imagine, someone who grew up Jewish, someone who grew up with that culture as their background, the only thing that they ever knew that your church would be pointing to Christ, but heavily influenced by Judaism. So they leave for five years, come back, and now the church is operating in a whole different way than they ever thought it to be. And honestly, many of them come back and say, it is operating wrongly because my way, the old way, was the better way. We don't fight those battles today in churches, do we? This caused a terrible divide in the church. Should things be done the Jewish way or the Gentile way? Ultimately, when we read this letter, what you're going to see is a lot of their arguing was over secondary and tertiary orders of importance. They argued them in a way that they thought maybe they were primary things that they needed to discuss in the church. So Paul writes this letter to unite the Jew and the Gentile and the first order issues of the church, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He reminds them over and over that what Christ has done will always supersede what they have done, are doing, and will do in the future. Romans is the longest of Paul's letters. It has so much, yet it's about one thing. This book is about God and his gospel to the world. You will hear the story of God through a phrase called the gospel. The gospel is simply, at its most elementary understanding, the good news. The good news of what? Of God saving and redeeming and restoring his creation through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. The good news themes that you're going to hear throughout this letter are going to be twofold. It is this, salvation has been already been won for us through Christ. And obedience to him is the only right response for a soul that is saved. For so many people in the Roman church, the argument of that day was faith versus obedience. Paul is making clear with this letter that it is not faith versus obedience, but it is faith and obedience. Obedience and faith. Of course, as you would imagine with their background, Jews prided themselves on obedience to the law. And they would say, no, yes, you you love the Lord Jesus, but you also need to do this, this, and this to be right with him. The Gentiles would say, well, I don't know anything about all of that. I just know that I was a sinner and I need Jesus and he's all I need. I don't need all of that other churchy stuff. You may find yourself maybe in one of those two worlds this morning. You just love the grace of God. Some people in this room may say, yes, I love the grace of God, and it allows me to love the religion that I grew up with. And so as they argue over that, Paul's answer here, ultimately through 16 chapters, is yes, faith is not optional. Obedience is not optional. Why? Because the sake of the nations depend on it. Your relationship with Christ, faith and obedience matter. What we say and how we act, what we believe, will be how the nations, all those who are yet to hear, will know about God and his goodness. 
Now, with all that being said, a little bit longer of an intro, it's time to jump in. But before we do, would you pray with me and we ask the Lord to bless our time in these next 30 weeks. Father, we ask you, God, for your name's sake, for your church's sake, for our sake, that you would open our eyes, make our minds ready to receive your word week in and week out, day in and day out as we personally study it, and give us humble hearts as we journey through this. Holy Spirit, I ask, as I have asked all week and even the weeks leading up to this day, for myself and this congregation, Lord, if there are things that you need to remove out of our life that we may rightly understand this word, we ask that you would do that. We trust you. You are good. But Lord, if there are also things that we need to understand to help us rightly walk and obey, I pray that you would do that as well. We come and we humbly submit ourselves to you and to your word. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, let's jump in. First word of the sentence, let's go. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, in this first verse, although it's a flowing sentence, we have three things that we look at. The first is the word servant. Now, Paul is typically, uh, he's following the typical letter introduction, like our letter would be dear so-and-so. So we would say who the letter is to at the beginning, and at the end of our letter, we write who it's from. Well, in ancient day, they would flip that. So Paul's name is first, and then who it's to is towards the end of his introduction. But he uses a word that we need to figure out what it means for them and us. Because when I tell you the gospel is going to blow up the way that you understand your life, we start in the second word or the third word of this sentence. The word servant here in the Greek is called doulos. And a lot of times it will be translated, usually in your Bible, it's going to have a little number right next to it, and it's going to bring you to a footnote. And that footnote is going to tell you something along the lines of servant or bond servant. And a lot of times we'll read that and we'll, we'll approach this text because of our history. Our history being the history of the United States and slavery that has been a stain on our history. That we are afraid of what this word is in its connotation, so we stay away from it at best, and at worst, we give it a meaning that it doesn't intend. The meaning of this word is the idea, doulos, a person that has been completely purchased by another person. Who they are, what they have, and what they owe. If you are a doulos of someone else, you 100% belong to them. Not you know them a little bit or you like them a little bit. Not you will choose to follow them when you need to or is convenient. Your life now belongs to them. Better, better put this way. Your life now is their life. 100%. There is no more arguing this statement. So what Apostle Paul says in the beginning is, Paul, a servant, that I belong 100% to Jesus Christ. Not just sold out, not like he has bought me. He said it differently this way in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 
It makes it pretty clear there that, that our body belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ if we are his. So the first word we need to understand is the word servant. Paul is not coming with his agenda. He is coming with the words of Christ. Second thing that we need to look at today is apostleship. What does the word apostle mean? Apostle and disciple are not the same. They're not interchangeable words. A disciple literally means learner or follower. Apostle means sent out ones. Maybe this will help you remember the difference. All apostles are disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. The difference in the two. An apostle would speak on behalf of Christ Jesus. Their words would be considered to be Christ's words. Disciples would do what Christ told them to do. There's the difference. So who gets to be, a, uh, who gets to be an apostle? We find the criteria. You want to write this down. We're going to go fast from here. We're gonna, the, the criteria of being apostle is found in Acts chapter 1, verses 20 through 26. Essentially, there are three things that you have had to experience to be called an apostle. Here are those three things. Number one, you must have been a disciple of Jesus during his earthly ministry. You find this in Acts chapter 1, verses 20 through 26. Second thing that you must have is be an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection. Like, like there, when he came out of the tomb and he showed himself to you, he would, you would have to have that. And then most importantly, you would have to be directly called by Jesus Christ himself, called out and sent out. So these three things are the criteria for being an apostle. Here's why people have struggled with the apostle Paul, well, since he was alive saying that he was an apostle. Did the apostle Paul follow Jesus during his earthly ministry? No. Was Paul an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection? No. Most importantly, was Paul directly called by Jesus? Yes, and here's why it's a yes. Not while Jesus walked with other apostles and disciples, but after Jesus has resurrected and ascended into, seven, into heaven. If you go into Acts chapter 9, you can see Paul's conversion on his way to Damascus. He was going to kill Christians, going to arrest them. And the Lord Jesus comes to him, blinds him, and calls him. So he would say that is where he received his ability to be called an, an apostle. This brings us to the last part of verse 1. Paul says, I belong to Christ, I've been called by Christ himself, and now I have been set apart for what reason? Set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he preaches isn't his. The gospel he preaches is God's. God wants you to know something. And I'm about to tell you exactly what he wants you to know. That's a weighty thought. Especially for these believers who are struggling with, is it the Jewish way or the Gentile way? And Paul says, I got a word for you, but it's not from me. It's not even from the other apostles. It's not from the disciples. It's from God himself, and I'm about to give it to you. Verse 2 which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So this isn't new information. He's just making up. What I'm about to tell you has been promised through all the prophets and all the Holy Scriptures. So what did the prophets and Holy Scriptures say? Verses 3 and 4 tell us that answer. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God and power according to the spirit of holiness. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, so the Jews are waiting on the Messiah. 
They knew he would come from the line of David. Paul is saying that Jesus Christ is the promised one and that God proved it eternally by his resurrection from the dead. Christ's resurrection proves that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is the promised one of God. Therefore, he is now our Lord. We must remember that Paul is speaking specifically about himself right here. It's important as we look to the next verse, okay? A lot of times we read the scriptures and we see words that are plural and we say, well, surely that means me. And it will soon, but not in the next verse. Verse five, here's what it says. Through him, uh, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. All right, so Paul is saying that because of Jesus' lordship, we, who is the we here? Is it we, the collective we of all Christians? No. As we understand this text, the we here is all the apostles who are sharing the same message that God has trusted to them. This message of the good news of Jesus Christ and the kingdom that is coming. They received their calling as an apostleship to be sent out to declare a message so that the nations could know Christ and his words so that the nations can be obedient in their faith in Jesus Christ. But the next part is the best part of today's text. Not only is Christ's resurrection and lordship good for those who were apostles and disciples and already belong to him, the good news and the power is extended, verse 6, including, what's that next word? You including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The you is them, the original readers, and the you is us. Let's not move too fast beyond this verse because it's going to answer one of the most asked questions that has ever been in your hearts today. Josh, that's a, that's a big statement. What you got? Here's the question. How does someone become Christ's? Like, how, how does someone come to belong to him? Do we need to do something? Do we need to perform in some way? Do we need to say something? Like, like say a prayer the right way. Do we need to give something? Like, is there a, is there a quota of, of, of the money that we have that if we give it, we can be his? Paul answers that question definitively. Here's his answer. How, how does one become belonging to Christ. Christ calls him, period. How does somebody go from an outsider to an insider? How does somebody go from death to life? Paul's answer, he calls you. Wait, that's it? He just calls you and you're his? Now here's where our theological differences may begin to show. Some would say that Yes, if Christ calls you, you are his, and there's nothing you can do about it. Like, just get on in the truck and let's go. I would say that if Christ called you, you have a choice to make. Will you answer? Will you respond? Think of all the calls that Jesus placed on the lives of people that we have recorded in the Scripture. He extends a call, usually by their name. It's a very personal call. And tells them to follow him. If they did, if they followed Christ, then they were his disciple. And if they didn't follow him, 
then they weren't his disciple. It is as simple as that. So now the question rests on us today. As we are looking through this ancient letter and we're, we're seeing what the Apostle Paul writes, and we come to this moment and we ask ourselves the question, number one, have we been called? I would tell you that as we read the Scripture, he has called you. In his grace, for God so loved who? The world that he sends his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I believe the call is extended. More to this as we journey through the letter, I also believe that's why it's important for us to extend the call to others. How will they know if no one tells them? How will they go if no one is sent? How will they hear if no one preaches? How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news. Scripture is clear in that, that a call has been extended. The question is, have you responded? And a lot of us would say, yes, I have responded with a prayer. I responded when I was seven by walking an aisle, saying a prayer, getting baptized. My church clapped me in. I got a little laminated sticker that I gave to my friends this morning. But let me warn you, let me caution you. That is not a determinant of whether you are following Christ. Well, Josh, what determines that? You following Christ. What makes a disciple a disciple? It is someone who follows the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. So in the same way, the Lord extends the call. If they follow, they're a disciple. If the Lord extends the call and they do not follow, they are not a disciple. Jesus didn't say anywhere in the scriptures. You don't see it in any of the gospels. You don't see it in any of the New Testament letters. Hey, hey, Levi, hey, tax collector, I want you to be mine. But before you do, I need you to bow your head and repeat after me. Do you, do you ever see that in any of the scriptures? Now, I don't want to knock it because I believe one of the ways that we initiate and start this relationship of following him is through prayer. Don't hear me knocking prayer, but don't hear me saying that that one moment when you were seven, the first time and the last time that you prayed has solidified your eternity. Your prayer doesn't solidify heaven for you. Christ does. So don't follow a religion that leads you to one moment in time. Follow Christ who calls you to follow him every day. And that's what this letter is going to do. It's going to show you the way. It's going to show you in many ways. We're not doing it rightly, but the Lord is gracious still and calls us in course correction to go the right way. But then we have one last verse, verse 7. To all those who are, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first six verses, still all one sentence. The first six verses is Paul's introduction of himself. The last verse is his introduction to who the letter is written to. And in this, there are five things that hopefully would bring them excitement and comfort. Five things that if we read it rightly and understand it properly, it is going to bring us excitement and wonder. Let me, let me, let me change those, those descriptors because Paul gives a better way. They're going to be grace and peace to you. 
Here are those things in verse 7. Number one, God's message to them is this. I see you exactly where you are. I know what you are going through. I see your current struggles. Because if this letter is written by the Apostle Paul, who is saying, I 100% belong to Christ. I am an apostle, therefore my words are God's words. then here's what God wants you to know. I see you in Rome. I know what happened with Claudius. I know what happened when you were kicked out of the city and now you come back and it, it feels like your church is different than you left in. You don't know what to do with it and you're fighting with people you shouldn't be fighting with, but I see that. I know what you're going through and I see your current struggles. Secondly, that, that God wants them to know that they are loved. It doesn't say, I am going to love you if... It doesn't say, I have the potential to love you if all of these things go the right way. It is definitive. I love you now and forever. Third thing, you were called to be his saints. This is a big word, and we don't use this a lot in the Baptist church unless we're talking about the Houdats down in New Orleans, which I'm very proud today is kickoff. This idea of saints... A lot of times, particularly if you grew up in South Mississippi in Catholic country, would be this idea of, of people who have been able to perform multiple miracles and then be, ver- be verified. That somehow their saintliness, their, their, their elevatedness, their, their called outness is because of something that they've done. What we understand when we read the scriptures is something different. A saint isn't someone who is special because of what they've done. A saint is someone who is special because of what God has done in their life. And every Christian, every person who has heard the call of Christ and followed him is a saint. You're not a saint because of what you do. You are a saint because of what Christ has done. Let this sink in. Because in this letter, you are going to wrestle with the tension of Jesus has done this and he's taken all the pressure off, but now he's trusted me with the greatest, greatest mission on the earth and I got to do it. I don't want to fail. And there's a tension that lies in between those two. And I believe that tension is right. The Lord is going to prevail. His will is going to happen. He just invites us into the victory procession. fourth thing that he wants them to know, that grace is extended to you. I am thankful for that. Grace, unmerited favor. Grace is not something you deserve. Grace is not something you worked for. It's not a payment for a life well lived. Grace is something extended for no other reason than the person that is giving it is good. And so God is extending grace to them, but then finally the And the fifth one, peace to you. From our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I know we read these letters often and we can get caught up in just saying, well, let's just jump out of the initial and get into the good stuff. Josh, when do we get to verse 16? That's where we want to go. They're hearing this for the first time. And if they understand the Apostle Paul rightly, then his words are the words of God. And what God just told him is, I see you. I love you, I've called you, I've extended grace to you, 
and I will give you peace. As our worship team comes up and we move into a response time this morning, this introduction, this seven verses, really it's only half of the introduction. We'll get to the other half next week. This introduction sets the stage for everything else that will unfold. Whatever from this moment that we read or hear comes from God through the Apostle Paul. Church, don't miss what I just said. Everything that you read in this book comes from God, particularly this letter, through the Apostle Paul. You say, well, Josh, why is that a big deal? I love verse 16. It's going to be great when we talk about the power of the gospel and how it is salvation for all who believe. But wait till we get to the end of chapter 1. Anybody read ahead? What about chapter 2, 3, and 4? When the whole purpose of Paul's writing is to shake us and help us understand that we are all broken. There's going to be moments that you amen and say, get them, preacher, you go get them. And in those moments when it's getting you and you're going to be like, whoa, whoa, preacher, I'm going to get you that email in just a minute. To be clear, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death for that falling short. But the gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This letter is grace and peace to its readers. The teaching, the reproof, the correction, the training are all grace and peace to us. So when you feel the joy of God's grace to you, I want you to hear it as that. God, you are good. But when we get to the text that hits you square between the eyes and it hurts like it's never hurt before and it's going to feel like you're being singled out. I didn't follow you home. I don't want to follow you home. But that's grace to you as well. Because when God convicts us of our sin, he gives us an opportunity to repent of our sin. Here's the question, though, that we need to ask as we move into this invitation time. Have you been called by Jesus Christ? Have you been called out of death, out of sin, out of self? Have you been called to follow him? And you might say, yes, Josh, you just read it for me. For God so loved the world. That is the call to the world. Right, okay. So, what is your response to his call? If he calls you out of death, would anybody say, no, I like it in here, it's comfortable? If he calls you out of sin, the very thing leading you to that death, no, God, I like, I like that sin. Calling you away from self and to trust him, no, I like me. Have you been called to follow him? So, my question is, as we jump into this letter, and we're going to hear a lot of application, a lot, it doesn't really make any difference until you've decided and resolved in your heart that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, meaning you are a follower and you are a learner. So my question to you this morning should be simple, but I think it is, it is deep and profound, and here it is. Are you following Jesus as Lord? It is grace to you to even have that call extended. It is not a works-based salvation. I'm not, I'm not advocating for that. 
I am telling you, the call is salvation to you. How you respond is your choice. Are you following the Lord Jesus Christ with your life? I know you're not perfect. I'm not either. But is there a desire? Is there a love to learn and to follow him? Last time, because I want to be crystal, crystal clear. The way it worked in the New Testament world is Christ would offer a call to come, leave the old life and follow him in new life. If they responded with, here I am, let's go, they were his disciple. There was not like a membership process, no 30-day waiting period. They just, they just followed. And that, that made them a disciple. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? If the answer is yes, this letter is going to be really good. If the answer is no, you're going to have a really hard time with a lot of the things we talk about. So I'm asking you this morning to resolve that question in your heart. Are you following him with all that you are? Church, would you pray with me? Father, I love you, and I thank you for your word today. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for this great letter. I thank you for the Apostle Paul, the work that you did on that, that road to Damascus, and all the ways that he was faithful to you and your word and your will, the way that he preached, the way it was recorded, the way it was delivered, even all these years later that we have a chance to read it in total accuracy and to obey it. Help us, Father. Help us to see where we are and help us to follow rightly. Oh, Lord Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?